life-giving prayer, this is part two today. I'm going to pick up a bit of what we touched on last week. I feel like this is so relevant for all of life and every season of life that we, that we learn, if you will, that we grow in this relationship with God to where that prayer is something of more than a duty. How many of you know it can be a religious duty and that I'm not into? I don't want to do anything out of a sense of duty, but I, but I want to uh, be in that relational flow. So as fellow humans on the planet, we, we explore, we long to explore the union that we have with the Creator, <clears throat> with Father, Christ Jesus, and Holy Spirit. And from all of eternity, um, God is not alone He's not solitary, but he lives as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this rich and glorious fellowship of oneness together. There's no emptiness in this circle. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's no depression, there's no fear, there's no insecurity. And there's absolute freedom with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit um, to embrace us as humankind in the midst of our brokenness. That is something of beauty. It's something that, um, that, the, that the delight of the heart of the, of the triune God is to invite us into that place, even in our brokenness. And uh, <clears throat> the determined passion of the blessed Trinity is to deliver us from ourselves and from the darkness that would want to take us in a direction that's not going to be life-giving. And so, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are never wringing their hands going, what am I going to do with him? What am I going to do with her? As if though we may be in a nearly uh, uh, hopeless state um, from human perspective, but God never sees it that way. He sees every single human, yes, every single human on the planet as a precious loved one and that he's inviting uh, to, to join uh, inviting each person to join with the Godhead. Now, <clears throat> Christ, who always existed, took on human flesh, and that's what we call the incarnation. And uh, he became like that which he loved. He became one of us. This is like really hugely important because sometimes we think of God, we think of somewhere out in the Far distance, you know, light, millions of light years away somewhere he's hanging out, okay? And somehow if we could just get close to him. Well, because of we're be created loved ones and because he loves us, okay, Christ takes on human flesh and he became what he loved. He became one of us. And he was not just one individual human among billion on earth. He, he literally came and infused himself with all of, within all of humanity, within every human, past, present, and the future upon the earth. And therefore, in the happenings of Christ upon the earth, everything that happened to him, okay, really happened um, uh, to us, and everything that was experienced by us was really shared with him in communion with Christ. And that's why the scriptures tell us that Christ actually became a partaker of human nature. Hebrews tells us this. And in turn, as Peter tells us, we're privileged to become partakers of the divine nature. 
So there's this beautiful communion of, with humanity um, uh, with, the, with the Godhead through the work of Christ. So I want to talk a little bit more today about life-giving prayer, but let's keep it in the context of not as something that we do, but let's just keep it in the context of this relational flow of life, all right? Because what he really invites us into, participate with the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So God does not look at us and say, here's what you should do. Because if you really love me, you need to go and do this. It's called prayer. That's not heaven's perspective. But rather, he's invited us into this place of participation and this communion by our responsiveness, okay, to him and to the invitation and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He invites all humans. Now, there's dimensions of that. All humans can have a dimension of, of interaction with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then when we become active participants in the salvation, it brings a place of intimacy of, to our lives that even goes a whole dimension beyond what we could have imagined. So we want to talk about personal prayer, then we want to talk about prayer for others. But in personal prayer, it's about being in communion with the divine trinity, this is like really, really huge. It's not like something I need to do so I can get a better result in life. It's something that I get to be in communion with. It's, 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 it's a part of this privilege that I have as a son, that you have as a son or a daughter. So <clears throat> personal prayers may be shared in times of distress, for example. How many of you, at least in the last year, have had one moment of distress, right? Just one, okay. Um, and so in times of distress and in times of, of um, pain and in times of fear and the times of uh, loss, uh, we're invited to come and to participate and to share that which is in our hearts. It's not like God doesn't know what we're facing but there's something of a beauty when it's shared and when it's expressed, okay? And that's why Hebrews 4 says, verse 15 to 16, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. So let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. So here's the triune God saying, I'm going to invite you to participate. Come with confidence in knowing that you're beloved. You're loved and we want you to share in this flow and this circle of life that we're experiencing. So the scripture says, let's approach the throne with confidence so that we might what? Receive mercy. That we might find grace to help us in our time of need. So when we go through loss in life, it can look in different ways. It could be loss of a, of a marriage relationship, the loss or death of a loved one. It could be the loss of a friendship, the loss of a dream. How many of you have ever had a dream, something that you was hoping for, you were anticipating? It looked like it was just about coming in view and then all of a sudden vanished into thin air. And your heart sinks and it's like, what just happened? You know, I really had this strong sense that God was leading in this direction. And, and there's so much 
um, disorientation at times in our life through these different types of losses and emotional reactions and actually emotional pain. So in those times, as with all times, it's not like I'm going to try to find God out there and if I call to him, he might hear me, but rather we already have this communion within this union that he's invited us into. Now, in the Psalms, we see some prayers um, by David, the psalmist, when he was being hunted down like an animal, and he's crying out in despair to God. Uh, we see Psalms 51, where David's confession of sin um, uh, regarding the guilt and the shame that he experienced because of his adultery and then his murder plot to have Bathsheba's husband killed. And now in Psalms 51, he's coming, he's crying out to God, you know. And what he's doing, he said, it's interesting, he said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, that was a day, that was still under Old Covenant before we had the indwelling presence of Holy Spirit, yet the Holy Spirit was very near and available to all people. And David had felt a certain sense of security, and he's crying out, God, don't take your spirit from me. And he said, I, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And so he's in distress, okay? But David obviously has something of a union and communion with God that is very real. If you go read Psalms 51, it's not a prayer that's being prayed from a distance. It's like he is within that circle of life with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And of course, we know the scriptures, and uh, Romans makes it so clear that nothing can separate us from the God, uh, love of God, and that would be no thing. <laughs> nothing is nothing can separate because God has never turned his face away from any person upon the earth. There's no sin so great of any human that will cause Father, Son, Christ Jesus, and the Spirit to turn away from a person. We don't have it. We don't have any evidence of that in Scripture. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. Is it where he turns his heart towards? He's always, always coming our way. Uh, Psalms chapter 6 and verse uh, uh, 6 and chapter 13, David is asking uh, God, he says, how long must I wait before you intervene? How many of you ever had one of those prayers? It's like, okay, God, you say you love me. You know, here's you've guided me in this direction, but how long before you're going to show up and get things straightened out or get things in order or take me to the next stage or going to intervene when I'm in trouble? David had those prayers. You see, those are relational prayers. And it's just like that we can talk that way when we develop friendships and, and in a healthy marriage thing, we can have those kind of conversations and share candidly and openly with one another. And so God invites us into that kind of relational prayer. There's Psalms 137 and Psalms 139. These are interesting chapters in the Bible because David was actually feeling really angry. He was angry towards his enemies, and he was actually feeling like pretty violent, like just like, go wipe them out, you know? Now, I know that none of you would ever think that or feel that way, but David did. And, uh, you know, and here he is. He's communing with God, and he's venting, okay? He's getting it off his chest, so to speak, all right? And then it's so beautiful in those Psalms, though, as he vents. And by the way, God isn't shocked, you know, when you have those moments and you feel angry 
that situation, circumstance, or another person. It's not like, oh my goodness, I don't know, but what, you're right on the edge of losing your salvation. Not so. Not so at all. You know? He created us with emotion, and sometimes with emotion comes hurt. And where there's hurt, there can be anger, or where there's things that uh, happen to us or come towards us, it, it can cause reaction. But what I love in those Psalms, as he emotes, as he expresses himself, God doesn't write him off, but then actually the moving of Holy Spirit, and if you read the end of those Psalms, moves them towards a place where he's now forgiving, and now David is asking God to show those same people mercy, the ones he was all but cursing just a, a, a few minutes earlier. And the work of the Holy Spirit now brings his, begins to tenderize his heart and bring him to a place of actually calling for mercy upon the ones who offended him. It's beautiful. So personal prayers are important, even when we feel the influence of the evil one. Now, there certainly is an evil one. There is a real devil, okay? Now, <clears throat> there is a measure of influence, and the influence from the evil one, he works primarily through lies, all right? But the scripture talks in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, where Paul talks about the thorn in the flesh. Isn't that interesting? That's an ex expression that was actually used in the Old Testament. Um, we have, I think it's, it's two or three references there, two that I know for sure. In the Old Testament, it was used. And now here, uh, Paul is using it in the New Testament, and we still have it in certain cultures of the world today. Now, that's a real thorn in the flesh, okay? Now, when David talked about a thorn in the flesh, it was something more than, than it was irritating because the Scripture specifically says a messenger of Satan. It was actually a demonic entity that was harassing him. Now, don't all raise your hand at once, but have you ever had that? I have. I've had a few occasions. Not a lot of them, but I actually have where I knew this was a moment. This was not just a, a funny emotion that I was feeling. This was an absolute demonic thing, okay? So there are moments when that can happen. So how do we respond to those? There's different types of responses, and we could spend actually 40 minutes just teaching on that. And uh, I haven't done that recently, but let me just give you something very simple. Oh, James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Because James now is a pastor at Jerusalem. And so he says, here's a real key in knowing how to have a resistance towards demonic influence. And he says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will, he will flee from you. Okay? So the resistance that will cause the enemy to back off has everything to do with the depth of our humility and submission to Christ. All right? So it's not just like, you know, puffing all up and trying to look big and strong and say, all right, devil, you know. No, it's really about coming with humility before God and saying, God, is there anything within me? Have I opened the doors? What have I, is there anything that you want to adjust in my heart? And in that posture of humility before the Lord, that's where the Bible speaks about finding grace in weakness, okay? Apostle Paul teaches on this, and uh, it's, it's, it's a powerful, powerful principle of truth there. I believe 2 Corinthians chapter 12, but, but there's this grace that happens. Grace is this power of Christ that's released within us. So 
This is a part of our personal prayer. So when we understand this relational place that we have with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we move through life, when we're distressed, when stuff happens and dreams are lost, et cetera, et cetera, and we feel some resistance from the enemy, the scripture gives us just real hope to know this, that if we submit ourselves. Verse 8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So what he's really saying, this is not a put-down. And this is not talking so much to people about a state of being that you're a sinner. But the fact is, is take any responsibility for any personal failures uh, and, and, and come humbly before the Lord. Because it's in that place of humility that you receive fresh grace, which allows you to be able to simply, in the name of Christ, resist the enemy and he flees. Personal prayers may be about, you know, a conversation with the divine trinity about listening to what God is saying. Sometimes there's so much value on just taking time to listen. You know, part of prayer is sharing, expressing heart, feeling thoughts, as we've been talking about. But this thing of just learning to listen, and I know there's some people that really do this well. It's not something that I naturally knew how to do. I had to train my soul because by nature, I'm a very expressive, more verbose type of person. Um, and I, I, I got to express, okay? And some of us are wired like that. And so I, I really had to develop more of a discipline to say, okay, take a chill pill right now. Just chill, get quiet before the Lord, and learn to listen. Learn to listen and learn how just to hear and to receive. That's all a part of this beauty of relationship. You know, Psalms 23 is such a beautiful psalm. I, you know, it was one of those psalms that I learned as a, as a little guy and in, in Sunday school, and we'd memorize it at home. But, you know, it's this beautiful uh, scene, a setting of the great shepherd, and we lie like an end to sheep, you know. And uh, it, it, it's, it's about a prayer of reflection of Christ looking out for us, caring for us, leading us, guiding us, not forsaking us, being with us, and knowing that his goodness and his mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And that's a great psalm to go to sometimes when you're feeling stressed and you're, you're feeling, uh, um, you know, emotionally in an upheaval. Just go. And just read Psalms 23 or recite it if you've memorized it. It has worked so beautifully in my heart and life so many times. And there's many, many times I've literally began just to quote it, Psalms 23, over someone who was really in a moment of great pain or distress. I would ask somebody, do you mind if I just read or share with you this psalm that's brought comfort to me? And it's like, yeah, go ahead, you know. And I just begin to share it. And to see people just immediately just, I mean within seconds, just start, and they settle down. Because Holy Spirit uses that beautiful psalm that was written. It's an expression of reflection upon the goodness of our God. And he is a great shepherd. Personal prayers may also be declarations of faith. There are times in which the the, the Lord wants us just to come to that place of, you know, here's a promise of God. He has spoken it. I believe it. 
And so I'm going to get in agreement and make declaration. The scriptures talk about, Job is a beautiful scripture about decreeing a thing and it shall be so. But we see it in Mark chapter 11 as well. And uh, I don't have that one for us to, to look at today. But it's a powerful scripture about believing our heart, confessing with our mouth, you know. And we believe in our heart and we, we pray. And when you pray, believe that you receive it and you'll have whatever you say. Now, it's not like a magical formula. But there's something that where the Godhead says, I want to invite you into this circle of life and the flow of the power of the Spirit. We've given a promise, and, and, and what the Godhead just wants us sometimes to be able to join in this resounding declaration with all of heaven and say, I believe it. I believe it. We love doing this at our house. It's a, one of the prayers we do, and we do it jointly sometimes at our house. We join in together and make declaration of some of the promises of God. Why? Because they are in process Promises that have not yet been revealed, have not yet come to fulfillment, but they are at work. How many of you know that this thing of spiritual walk, it really is a process? When I say a process, it's not about waiting for God to do something. It's about us in this growth mode with the triune God and developing this flow of life and relationship because sometimes and there is a chronological time in the, in the work of God. There's the kairos moments, but there's also the chronological moments that where God wants to roll something out, to unveil something in our lives. And had he done it earlier, we may not be ready for it, see? So there's multiple factors because most of the promises of God involve one or more people, right? Sometimes it can involve a lot of people. So God is at work aligning things. Also in the second heavens, as we see in Daniel chapter 9, when Daniel began to pray, he said it's about time for Israel to come out of captivity, 70 years of captivity. So he began to pray. But there was demonic activity in the heavenlies, and there was a holdup. And, and, and so after 21 days, the angel comes and tells Daniel, on the first day I heard your prayer. And the angels were already beginning to move and work on his behalf and upon behalf of the people who had been in captivity, see? So you've got that second heaven thing. You've got some, sometimes some interference there going on. You've got humans sometimes that are in process of getting their hearts aligned and, and, and their, their souls and their thinking aligned to where there's this coming together then. And so then you have this confluence and then the unfolding of the unveiling, say. You say, well, why is prayer? Why don't I just kind of sit back and fold my arms and just wait and see? Because there's something of beauty in life that we get to participate in the process. Because in this process of prayer and holy declaration, there is the continual shaping of our hearts, preparing us to be able to, be able to receive, to be able to recognize, and to be able to walk with the unfolding and the unveiling of the promise. So the wait and see thing isn't going to work. It doesn't work well. More than likely, we won't see the, un, the, the revealing of what God has said. So that's another type of prayer. The Bible says in James 5, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Tell somebody near you, your prayers are powerful. 
Encourage one another. They're powerful. You're a righteous person. Your heart is towards God. Your prayers are powerful and they are effective. And that's where we need to encourage one another. And sometimes we get discouraged in this whole process of life and we're wondering if our prayers are ineffective or are they partially effective. Well, the Bible just makes this promise about where there's a heart that is in pursuit of him, our prayers can be powerful and effective. Well, life-giving prayers take place when we have a measure of faith, hope, and love that's anchored in God's heart. That's why I like Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Read that last line with me. Think about such things. Remember, how we think is how we become. How we think. That's just a basic principle of reality, okay? What we think, what we think, say, I got to be thinking on things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are a good report. Yeah, think on things that are praiseworthy. I can't afford to waste my time. And I'm continually needing to remind myself along this line, you know. I, I must uh, uh, keep myself in remembrance of this basic truth because it keeps me in that realm with the triune God, within the love of God where there's faith, where there's hope, where there's love, where there's Holy Spirit movement and activity, see. And if I go down the track of negativity, I think it was Steve Backlund when he was here, he talked about going on a negativity fast. Some of us need to do a negativity fast, huh? Negativity fast, because pretty soon then we can begin to tune in to that which is pure and lovely and a good report. Perpetual negative thinking is a bigger problem than our most problems. Faulty beliefs will cause us to feel alienated when in reality God is very near. It's just that we out ourselves. In other words, we push ourselves out because of our faulty belief system. So we're all in process, aren't we? But just remember, we live in a world that there are perspectives and there's, there's stuff coming at us that isn't necessarily from God's perspective. So we've got to filter through a lot, a lot of stuff. And some of the most challenging is doing that in the context of meaningful friendships. If there gets negativity within a friendship and maybe another person, it's just like what's coming out of their mouth is just negative stuff, negative stuff, you know. And yet you really value the person. And so sometimes a person can get stuck. And that's where we need to lovingly help one another see, wow, how this is not beneficial and just how positive and how, how powerful things could be if we could get one another out of the ditch and, and thinking about Christ-like things. Well, life-giving prayer reflects bold expectations of faith. And Mark chapter 11, I already referred to it, but I got I to gotta read it. Jesus said, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up, thrown into the sea. It will happen, but you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe it, that you've received it, it will be yours. I love how the New Living Translation puts it. Um, it's all good. You read it in any translation, it's absolutely powerful. 
I want to talk now for a few minutes about a second dimension of prayer. We've been talking about life-giving prayer for ourselves. Let's talk about life-giving prayer for other people, all right? Sometimes uh, <clears throat> this is known as intercession. So let's just talk about that for a remainder of our time. Every person is made in the image and likeness of God, and this is absolutely essential to really lock onto in order for us to be a blessing in prayer for other people. If I see any one person as anything less than loved by God and precious in the sight of God, then my ability to pray a prayer that's going to release life is going to be minimized and uh, can actually just uh, uh, it can block the way. I, I need to be able to see every human on the planet as a brother or sister, a fellow created one of God. This is essential. How many of you know that we're all in process and sometimes it's a little hard to get our heads around that and to get our, much less to get our hearts wrapped around it? But it's the reality. The Apostle Paul makes it so clear. I know I've shared it multiple times in the last few months, but in the book of Acts, it is one of the most clearest passages that teach the reality that we're all children of God. Doesn't mean everybody's saved. But in the sense, we're made in his image and likeness and carry his DNA and his very substance at the core, okay? And so being children of God, verse 29, uh, <clears throat> being children of God, Apostle Paul talks about this. And so um, all of humanity was created with this in this love union between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we're all created within that union, okay? And we carry a measure of that substance of God in his likeness and we're considered children of God. So in order for me to effectively pray for other people, first I need to be able to see them. Now if I look at somebody and say, man, that guy's just a low life, man. He is one low down, evil, wicked, ugly person. I don't even my heart can call him a human. Don't even bother to pray. Because your prayer is not going to go anywhere. At best it won't do any good. It just will be absolutely ineffective. So when you can see the person that is really doing some ugly stuff in life, participating in evil, and all things just really gnarly, the first step is, God, help me to see this person as you see them. How many of you know you might be praying a year to get that one worked out? Help me, Lord. There's a whole lot of humility that has to begin to work in us and come into play. Or it's like no use even praying. See, so if we pray from the perspective that that person's a low life, and man, I've got it reasonably together, oh my goodness, that, that's, just not, that's just not the heart. We're going to miss the heart of God in the middle of it, all right? So <clears throat> intercession is what we call praying for other people. And this is like so huge. It's so important that we learn how to intercede for other people. It's a privilege we have. One of the most effective ways that we can make a difference in our world is by praying for other people. That is when we can pray out of a pure heart. And that may be our biggest challenge right there. Yeah. And that is finding a heart. How many of you know that it's easy to pray for nice people? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, now, I, I don't know about you guys, but I can pray, nice, pray really nice things for Jordan and Sierra that were up here. They're my friends. They're great people. So that's easy. As long as they don't do anything stupid. <laughs> then it's like, well, see? So our challenge is, is to get God's perspective. His heart. Guys, this is so huge. Otherwise, prayers can come out of self-righteousness and judgment. And we wind up reaping judgment ourselves. We can actually pray prayers that are all but curses on other people. I've heard it done, and I'm like, and I have felt it in, in myself. And it's like, oh, God, I just want you to obliterate this person or this or that or the other. It's like, whoa, that just doesn't sound, that sounds ugly. That's not the heart of God, see? Now, I don't have any problem with this. We talked earlier saying, God, here's what I'm feeling right now. But I want to be like David, and I've got to move from a place of anger. I've got to move from this place of what I feel, almost hatred, and I've got to move towards a place of forgiveness and love and mercy. And when I can find myself, that, if that takes hours, if it takes days, so be it. But don't even bother praying for anybody else until you can get there. Otherwise, it's just a waste of time. It's just a religious activity. It really won't do any good. If anything, you could play into the hand of the enemy and actually release cursing upon a person. And none of us would want to do that. None of us would ever intend to do such a thing. But we don't want to even be in that arena. So <clears throat> when we've concluded that a person is evil, I, I, I can't pray the heart of God towards them. Now, a person may have done evil deeds, but if I look to them as pure evil, and I heard somebody share this, I heard numerous people share this, even in the political season, and I heard it from the red team towards the blue, and I heard it from the blue team towards the red, and, and they were sure that the guy running for the other team was pure evil. And these were Christians talking this way. It wasn't saying like, well, I have some real sharp disagreements with this thinking and policy, et cetera, et cetera, from one team to the other or whatever towards that candidate. But when I hear people say, he is pure evil, <laughs> I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, that's not healthy. This isn't good. This isn't good. And it's not that a person may feel angry or upset. I mean, not, there's no great sin in that in and of itself. But it's like, don't even bother to pray, though, once you tag somebody as pure evil. Because now you're going to pray in judgment. And now it's not going to be the heart of God. It's not going to bring any change, say, that we really want to see in somebody's life, whoever the person is, say. So <clears throat> personal prayer has everything to do with God continually create a new heart in me, a clean heart, as David said, and renew unto me a divine perspective. Because as we grow in that, and it's something we grow into, guys, and as we grow into that place where we cultivate humility and there's a pureness of our heart that is maintained, then it positions us to effectively pray for other people. And we're going to call that the end for today, and we'll pick up on it next week.
Let's stand up together. And so, God, I stand here before you along with friends and family here that, and we say, God, create within us a clean heart, a pure heart. Lord, this is an ongoing process of being molded and shaped and becoming like you. But we came here today, God, not because we feel self-righteous, but rather we know that we stand in your righteousness and knowing that we do need you. And thank you, Lord, for shaping our hearts. Where we're snared with hopelessness, God, thank you for giving us confidence that we can come before you at the throne of grace. If we're feeling today a sense of loss, if anything, a loss of a dream, loss of friendship, loss of a relationship that's meaningful, important, God, I thank you for coming and giving us hope and encouragement in the midst of that loss. And God, if you're, our promises before us that you're nudging us and saying, I want you to step in to, and you're, you're inviting us to step into that place of bold confidence and faith and declaration, then Lord, give us the courage. Just give us courage and let us be strengthened in our spirit to be able to rise up and to be in agreement with the promises of God. Let us not be passive and shrink back because it almost sounds too good to be true, or it sounds like so much beyond our ability. Well, that's how you like to work. You like to do things that are even beyond our ability and beyond our imagination, because then we truly need you and then know it's you when it happens. So, Lord, thank you for strengthening our faith there. And, Lord, as it comes to attitudes towards other people and as we see the psalmist David and being a place of anger and hurt and such and Lord, if any one of us are wrestling in that area with a situation with another person, thank you for softening our hearts. And in this time of just feeling angry and upset and unsettled, I'm thankful, Lord, that, that you have a beautiful way of loving us in that process. And you don't condemn us for it, but you love us in the process and that you gently draw us unto yourself and to heaven's thinking and heaven's attitude. And, and thank you for drawing us into this circle of the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're, we're participants, we're recipients. We're ones who are able to catch the very heart that, of God that you have towards this other person. Thank you for softening our hearts. Any one of us that may be in a time now where we're feeling actually the powers of darkness coming, we would just say, God, thank you for that beauty of submission of our hearts towards you that yet knowing this, that your grace is sufficient, that you will give us the grace and strength to resist the enemy, and he will flee. As a matter of fact, I just come into agreement with you right now. Any one of you are struggling in any area, you feel like there's, there's darkness coming, pressing you. You feel that, that pressure. Uh, <clears throat> we thank you, Lord, for humility of heart, and we just pray in the name of Christ for that to dissipate. Be gone in the name of Jesus Christ. We speak to the darkness in Jesus' name. Well, thank you for causing us to grow in our personal prayer. And Lord, um, as we come back next week to talk a little bit more about this, praying for others, Lord. May it, may it be something that, that we catch fresh and anew. Uh, and that, that's our prayer. In the name of Christ, everyone said amen.